0: This is the story of Martha Tolls, the best-selling author widely known for her Katie and Darcy series that have sold over 2 million copies around the world. In this episode, we begin with Martha's childhood, and we discuss how fun it was growing up with her two brothers, despite the Great Depression surrounding them. Her mother, who was a third-grade teacher, really created this wonderful environment for the kids, and while emphasizing the importance of reading— She also enjoyed simple pleasures with them of playing in the field and dancing to the big band records. And then we fast forward to college and kids, and it wasn't until after all of her kids were born that Martha spent some time writing. She had had six children, five of whom were boys, in 13 years. And not surprisingly, running around after all those kids had some physical effects, so she experienced some back pain. I mean, I have two boys and nearly every joint aches at this point, so I can only imagine what it's like with six kids and how much more challenging that was. But it was during this period, when she was literally laying down, that she started writing. And before you know it, a writing star was born. Martha discusses her popular Katie and Darcy series, which was about a little girl inspired by her daughter, Cindy, being around Well, a lot of boys. (laughs) And it took off. Scholastic was her first publisher, and it was one of the most popular books in the Scholastic book offerings from the 70s to the late 90s. And you'd think after all the success and millions of copies sold later, Martha would take a little rest, but that's not Martha. She continues to write well into her late 90s, and in fact, expanded her writing to adult novels as well. All the while, similar to her childhood, enjoying life along the way. And you'll hear that Martha loves her parties. So stick to the end and hear why her most recent birthday parties have a green banana theme to them. I am definitely going to borrow that. Martha turned 99 years young this September, and I am inspired by her kind spirit and her positivity. I think given the pandemic storm we are all under today, it gives me so much inspiration to keep positive and to keep dancing, as we know this too shall pass. I also hope you relay her suggestion at the end of the interview to other people in your lives, especially older people, as she suggests that they write memoirs to share the stories that are so precious that may not carry forward. Please enjoy this conversation with the marvelous Martha Tolls. Hi, Martha. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're on. And first, I want to send a very big thank you to Jossie Sang for introducing us. Oh. <laughs> She's a great gal. Wonderful. So thank you, Jossie. So is Ruth. <laughs> exactly. I love Ruth too. And I know today is a very special day as it is your husband's birthday as well as one of your sons. So happy birthday Hi. to both of them. And I so- like
1: the number thirteen.
0: <laughs> One of my sons was also born on the 13th as well. Well, so thank you so much for joining me again. And so you have six children and you are the best selling author. I think your books have sold over 2 million copies around the world of the very popular Katie and also Darcy series. And then also more recently, you've expanded your repertoire and started writing novels for adults. Which is incredible. And so there's so much I want to get into. But before we get into your success as a writer, your motherhood with six children, five of which are boys, (laughs) I would love to have you rewind your highlight reel and start at the very beginning of where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Our childhood
1: took place during the Great Depression. And so there was very little around by way of organized activity for children. And my mother was a teacher, and my parents were divorced, so our father was not with us. And so my grandmother also lived with us. But we also had uncles and aunts nearby, so we had a really nice family life anyway. And so without our mother being able to do things with us because she was so busy, we just sort of entertained ourselves, my two brothers and I. And so in the winter, I was thinking about this, the duck pond would freeze over and we'd go ice skating or there would be snow and we'd go sledding on the nearby hill. And then in the summer was fabulous. There was an open field across from us and we were on a quiet street and lots of other children in the neighborhood. So that's a perfect setup. And so we used to pick berries in the field and play a neighborhood softball game and then my older brother would build tree houses tree huts so we should say and so when he would build the higher one he turned the lower one over to me and my friends and he also built a little miniature golf course in the backyard and so, so we just entertained ourselves but most of all I was a very avid reader I just love to read I read all the time And I read so many books in the children's room at the library that the librarian gave me a part-time job there when I was only 14 (laughs) in the summer. So that was very exciting. So anyway, and then as I grew older, we teenagers entertained ourselves by dancing to the big band records. And we mostly just danced in each other's living rooms. Or at the high school. So it was a pretty good childhood. I should have explained to you that my mother had been a third grade teacher, later she set up a reading clinic. And so really all my life I heard about the importance of reading.
0: Well it's fascinating that you mention it's a fun childhood but it's during the Great Depression. So that's quite optimistic and such a positive environment that your family and your mom created. So that's wonderful to hear.
1: I mean, we knew bad things were going on out there, but we managed to have our own happy time.
0: And so you'd think that from that you went to university and you became a writer right away, but that wasn't the case. And so if you could talk about really what prompted you to become a writer.
1: When I got to school, I found out that I liked writing, whenever there was a little newspaper of any sort. There was a newspaper in the fifth grade, and I contributed to that, a little bit in the high school paper, and then I was very active on the Smith College newspaper, but I think I had my aunt in mind all the time, who was a successful journalist, and so I stuck to just that kind of writing only, and so unfortunately i think looking back it would have been good if i had been more open to trying other kinds of writing and there might be a little lesson there for people in general to try things whether it's writing or other things you sometimes don't know that you're going to like it or be good at it and so it's good to try things when i was a newspaper reporter for a year after college Which I loved. It was a very interesting job. But we had a neighbor who was a very successful short story writer, and he offered to my mother to help me learn how to do that. And oh, the ignorance of youth or whatever. I said, oh no, I don't do that. That's not what I do. So it was just a shame I didn't try it. But anyway, I didn't. And so then years went by, and we were married, and I had this big family. And then I've written an essay about this. It's called Lying Down on the Job. It's in a magazine called Skirt. And so (laughs) I had these back problems. And so the best thing for it seemed to be just to lie in bed until it got better. So here I am with this household of children. And so I hired not one, but two helpers and stayed in bed for about a month. Well, during that time, I got awfully bored. There was one TV at that point. It was downstairs with the children. And so one day, I said to myself, oh, why don't I write a children's story? Because I had read hundreds of books by that time for children. (laughs) So I wrote it, and I found out I actually loved making things up. I loved it. Had that experience and you find out you love something, whatever it is, crocheting or cooking or whatever. And so I was so excited about it. When my husband came home, I showed it to him. I've always felt that he gave me a good answer. He said, well, parts of it are good. So that was just a great answer. (laughs) So as soon as I got well... I signed up for a writing class at Pasadena City College.
0: So this moment, you're in your 40s, you have six children, and at that point, how old were the children?
1: Well, let's see. Well, the first one was born in 46. I had six children in 13 years.
0: So then you sign up for this writing class, and what kind of class was it? Was it introductory writing? Was it children's novel focus? It was a
1: wonderful class. The teacher was... Kind of an older lady. She looked like just a sedate, conventional housewife. That's what she looked like. But she had a brain like a machine. (laughs) She was smart. And she knew how to motivate us, which was quite a trick. And so she made us feel that it was important that we keep coming to that class, you see. And so actually, many, many books came out of her classes. I was not the only one. I went to it for a number of years. Let's see. <laughs> oh, there were a lot of ladies in it. Not We didn't all write for children, but mostly we
0: did. You had mentioned that you were in that course for several years. During that time, had you already published one of those books?
1: Well, while I was in the course, I began to sell. And I sold a few short stories first, and then my first book. The first story was to a little church magazine I found in the dentist's office. And it looked like a nice little magazine. So I sent them a story. Like six months later, comes this letter saying they're buying my story with this little tiny check. <laughs> so I was absolutely ecstatic.
0: I was so thrilled. Oh, I'm sure. And at that moment, were you doing it at the time? And you mentioned that you were sending people letters and sharing your stories Was it with the intention to sell or to share or both?
1: Well, the title of the writing class was Writing for Publication. And that was our goal. And that was my goal. I didn't just want to write for myself. I wanted to share my writing. So then I worked on, let's see, I told another story. The next one was to Jack and Jill. When this happened, I felt really and truly I was going to maybe be able to do some more of this. But it was just another story. But still, Jack and Jill's big, widely published magazine. And I had a Halloween story in it. And after it came out, the Pasadena paper called me and said the distributor had called them and told them that they had a local author. And so they wanted to come out, interview me, and take my picture. So they did that. And they came out, and here I am in the paper with the children around me. We're all holding up the magazine and so forth. And the headline is something like, Mother of Six Cell Story. (laughs) So I think that probably gave me real self-confidence that I might be able to do more. It was quite a big moment for me to have that happen. So then I told another story after that, which was another nice big sale, to highlights for children. And then the writing teacher suggested I try a book. A mother of six, time is everything. So, well, I have to admit I did have help. My husband claims he said, he used to tell people, well, I told Martha, she could have a day's help for each child she had. Of course she had six. <laughs> so I did have this wonderful gal named Carrie who helped me. And she did all of the housework. So as someone said, you still have to take care of the children, but you do it in a cleaner, neater surroundings. <laughs> and she did some cooking. And so she wasn't living, but she would stay a night or two now and then. So it was wonderful that I did have that help. And then when I started to write my first book, I foolishly chose the summer. I, I don't really know why, but I paid my oldest son for one hour of good babysitting. I paid him really well, so he did a good job. And at that point, I think the children, let me see, I did this in the early 60s. He's, born, he's in his early teens, I guess, or mid-teens. And so, and the youngest was probably two or three or something. And so I would run up to my room during that hour and write as fast as I can. Now, one of the advantages of being a writer, if you're something like a housewife and a mother, is your brain is free much of the time to think about what you'll write. I'm sure with other kinds, some other kinds of work, you wouldn't be that free mentally. Physically, I was there watching and tearing all that. So then, after the hour was up, in the late afternoon, I invited all my children and all their friends in the neighborhood to come in and listen to what I'd written. It was a perfect setup for learning how to write for children. And children are very forthright. They just tell you what they think. And so, if they liked it, my children would say, Oh, Mom, that's good. Go upstairs and write some more. But one day, I was reading a chapter. And one of the neighborhood boys, just in the middle of it, just stood up and walked out. So I thought, okay, I'll revise that chapter. (laughs) (laughs) And I had some twin girls read the whole book when it was finished. And they said, well, they liked it, but it had taken them a while to get into it. So then I just threw away the first few chapters and really got into the story, you see.
0: That's incredible. So you use your children and their friends as an editing tool.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were very, very helpful to me. Not only editing, but I really got ideas from them. I like my daughter with five brothers. So my first book was actually called Too Many Boys. And it came out first in hardcover with Thomas Nelson. It did very well. And the, the local librarian really liked it. That was so nice of
0: her. When you started writing children's novels, was there an age or a demographic that you had in mind to read your books?
1: I think for some reason I headed for that, what they call middle grade, for eight to 12 year olds. I did try some picture books, but it didn't appeal to me particularly. And I never did sell any picture books. And my daughter was about that age. Might have had something to do with it. I don't know. But that was the age I seemed to like, and I hit it for that. And so that first book Souls, and then after about five years, they wrote to me and said that it was going out of print. My librarian was very disappointed, and she wrote to them and urged them to keep it in print longer. So she was my good supporter. So I sent the book to Scholastic. Well, an entire year went by. i virtually forgotten about the whole thing. I went to the mailbox one day and here's this letter from Scholastic saying they would like to buy my book. (laughs) I don't know if you had Scholastic book clubs in your youth, but they wanted to put it in their book clubs. But they explained they wanted to change the title because they wanted it to be clear that it was a book about a girl. So then it got changed to be Katie and those boys. It was their title. But I liked it. They asked me if I liked it, and I said yes. Oh, and, of course, it was about my daughter's life, really. I mean, not specifically, but she was always wishing to find some girls to spend time with because we had all these boys around and then boys in the neighborhood. <laughs> so at one point, she got acquainted with a family on the next street over. They had four daughters and I used to have to carry her out of there crying <laughs> at 6 o'clock at night because she had to go home.
0: <laughs> what is your daughter's name?
1: Cindy. And so, of course, I said to her, this book is about you, Cindy. And she said, oh, no, Bob, it's about you.
0: <laughs> what does she mean by that?
1: Well, I guess she felt the girl in the book didn't sound like her. She thought it sounds like me. <laughs> when I sold that book, I was sitting at the dinner table one night feeling very happy about it, everything, and talking about it. And my daughter said, but you know, Mom, you're not really an author. You're just a mother who wrote a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did she think when you crossed one million in books sold and then two million in books sold? Did she change that to say, you're an author now?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I didn't really ask her. She didn't say. I guess she did.
0: (laughs) You had asked me if I remember the Scholastic Book Series, and that's a fond memory when I had when I was younger, which was always the book fair time. And you get this beautiful, very thin sheet of paper book that had all the list of books that you can order. And I remember it still to this day, it was the most exciting week of the school year, because you could get all these new books that wasn't in your elementary or middle school library. So it was a very special oh. publication.
1: I was utterly thrilled to be in it. And I Got lots and lots of fan letters, which were very nice, very attractive fan letters. And they, of course, encouraged me greatly to keep going. So anyway, after I sold that one, then I wrote another about Katie called Katie for President. And at that time, in it was, I think, 1968, for the first time, a girl was elected president of the student body at the San Mino High School. So... I was sort of right in swing of the step, right in step with new things, so to speak, to write that book. And so <laughs> I think I just sent this scholastic. I was so thrilled to be published by them. I liked the idea of having lots and lots of readers. So I sent that in. And then sometime later, back in this big brown envelope, I was so disappointed it was on a Friday. So I was so disappointed. So all weekend, I didn't open it. I thought, oh, I guess they just didn't like it. What a shame. On Monday, I opened it, and I found out, oh, yes, they liked it. They just wanted a few little changes in it.
0: And so you've written several books within the Katie series. What prompted you to start the Darcy series? Well,
1: let me tell you about the third one first, because we're talking about going from failure to success. Well, the road to success is bumpy. on the third book, Katie's Babysitting Job, I had an opportunity to go to New York with my husband. And so far, the editor had not bought the book. And so I was going to go see the editor. Well, this is quite exciting to visit an editor. So I went to Elizabeth Arden first, and I had my hair all done. Tons of makeup on my face, so much I could hardly open my eyes. And so, then I went over to Scholastic. And out came my editor. She was this young gal, sort of baggy pants, loose shirt, frizzy hair, no makeup. But anyway, she didn't have me stay in her little sort of outer office, which wasn't very private. She took me into a private room and closed the door to discuss my book. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But then she told me the bad news. She said it was not publishable. So this was very disappointing. And editors generally, I don't know if I can speak for all editors. Of course, I can't, but a few. They're better at telling you what's wrong other than how to fix it. So anyway, I left. Well, then I did a number of things that helped me, I think. One was I read a Nancy Drew mystery. You see, this book was a mystery, and I was trying a new type of writing. And then I read some books about writing mysteries, and I learned that for mysteries you need clues and you need suspects. And so then she bought it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I heard years later that it sold so well at Scholastic that back at Scholastic another editor got interested in the whole idea and started the Babysitters Club series remember
0: that? Oh, I do. And in fact, Netflix, I think, right. is actually making it into a series because, well, it was so popular, but they're bringing it back.
1: I don't know. I think they're about 50, know, They're a tremendous number.
0: So the Katie series, there's three in total. Did you write the third one with the intention that that was it?
1: I had to change the name because I was doing it for a different editor. It's the same age girl. If there's any real difference between them, I can't tell you
0: what it is. Oh, interesting. Well, that's a good question then. What made you leave Scholastic then to effectively start the same series with a new name, with Darcy?
1: I've heard that this editor over at Lozar Dutton might be interested. I was in this writing group and we kind of shared information with each other. And so I'd written this book called Who's Reading Darcy's Diary? And so she took it to my group thrill and surprise and when she took it she called me up and asked me if I'd like to do more <laughs> so I said yes of course I would so now I had a diary when I was a girl most of my books are they what you call realistic everyday fiction and so they have at least something in them that's happened in my life that inspired me to write the book and so I had had a diary And one time, uh, some boys came to my house, and they found the diary, and they read it, which was very embarrassing. So that's what led to this whole book, you see. And so I was thinking about this the other day. It's the only book of mine that's been translated into French.
0: That's incredible.
1: (laughs) They all said sold well, but the first, the three Katie's and the first Darcy, I think, probably had the biggest sales. But, of course, they came along sooner.
0: And how many Darcy novels are there?
1: Four. And so I did Darcy and the Dance Contest. And that one, her brother has a large snake who gets loose in the house and they can't find him. And you find he finally turns up in the toilet. Well, this actually happened to one of my son's snakes, you see. <laughs> so again, I was borrowing from life. And then I had Darcy Cabin 13. And I told you how I liked the number 13. And that was about life at camp. And I used an episode there that had happened to one of my sons when he played baseball. So, and then the last one was called Secret Sister. I had heard about that program. I used to visit schools quite a bit and give talks. And I liked doing that. It was fun to be with the children, especially as I was getting older now. My children were growing up. It was nice to be in touch with that age again and see what they liked and so forth. And so I got that idea from going to a school and having a school talk. I was living in Palo Alto with my family, and I decided to write for grown-ups. And I went to a night class at Stanford. It was so interesting, because they were all writing for grown-ups. And they were very experienced people, anyway. They were all like heads of English departments and Vice Presidents of Banks and things like this. And we went around the room. The teacher asked each person to speak. And each one said so longingly, Oh, I've always wanted to write. <laughs> but they did this busy doing other things. Some of them wrote very well. I don't know that they ever published. There's a difference between just writing well and being published. You have to adhere to certain standards. But I really enjoyed that class. And the year I started, my grandson was starting Stanford. And he used to tell everybody, Grandma and I are starting Stanford together.
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) So I brought in that book that just came out recently about World War II. And one young man in the class said, oh, you're writing about World War II? He said, that's great. I studied about that in my history class. (laughs) I thought, oh. I was in my late 80s when I did that book.
0: (laughs) Started it anyway. But this is amazing. Well, one of the questions I had was what encouraged you to expand out of that. So that's really helpful. So you're in your late 80s and you say, okay, let's take a writing class. Did you know you wanted to expand into writing for adults? Or what was the catalyst to taking that course?
1: I think I just felt that I'd just grown beyond the children. I just couldn't quite feel like a 12-year-old again. And also, times had changed. They liked a lot of fantasy, and I just felt like trying an adult thing. And so, now this book is called *Love and Sabotage*. It's an ebook and a paperback, and it could possibly be a crossover. It might possibly be young adult and adult. It's interesting when you get something published; you get all kinds of opinions. And one reviewer said she didn't think it was sophisticated enough for today's adult market and that it had no sex, bad language, or violence in it. And then another critic said, well, she liked it because it didn't have any sex, bad language, or violence (laughs) in it. Anyway, I had a lot of fun writing it. It helped me because about the time I was working on it, my husband passed away. We'd been married for 63 wonderful happy years. So it was really hard to lose him. But writing about that time, And he's the marine fighter pilot in the book. It was just a good thing to do. It was very nice, very helpful.
0: How beautiful. To do that.
1: Now, I wrote that and worked on it off and on for about 10 years. And I began in the last few years to be aware of what was going on in the world. And there was a lot of talk about gals having trouble in the workplace with dealing with bosses And I talked to a friend up there who told me her experiences dealing with bosses and expected her to come to his bedroom. That's what he expected. And she wouldn't do it. And so he wouldn't promote her. So I began to stress more that that was one of my character's problems, was dealing with this boss who was just too friendly. I didn't experience that myself in my own career. I worked for such a short time and in both places, on the newspaper. And then I worked briefly for Publishers Weekly. My boss is for women in the first place. I didn't have any trouble like that. And I didn't really think of that as a plot problem until the last few years. So that may have helped make it more saleable. So then, anyway, it did sell. And I was very pleased I could do the research for it. I used various methods. I had a little recording at one point, of radio announcers and what they advertised for sale during that time. What was coming up was, oh, the new refrigerators. Oh, that was going to be so exciting. No more ice chest, that kind of thing. And then my daughter had a friend of a friend whose grandfather, I guess, had been in the war And had served in Europe and had served at the opening of one of the concentration camps and written a letter about it. And they let me borrow that letter, which I used in the book. So I felt that I was showing how life really was at that time. And of course, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book was to show also what a changing time it was for women because my character, and you see, I, too, had this newspaper job that women never had until the war. And even then, they had to sort of cope with men who thought, oh, well, okay, we'll put up with do for now, but...
0: That's great. You had mentioned in the Katie series, from the first and the second book, which had great feedback, to the third book, where the publisher said, this is unpublishable, and all along the way, all the short stories you've written, all the continued books in the Darcy series, what I think is remarkable about many industries, especially writing or comedy or magic, the fast feedback loop. So when you write something, you send it to your publisher, and they will tell you with their opinion, I don't like it, this is not going to sell. What did you do with negative feedback? Would you push back gently to say, this is, as an author, how I feel the book should be? Or how did you receive feedback? I
1: generally felt they were right. I mean, that was my greatest difficulty, the one with the babysitting job. I had a little trouble with Darcy and Kevin, 13. And actually, I don't remember the details, but in discussing that with my same editor at Scholastic, I felt she helped me put it together.
0: So you have six children, and I won't ask you your favorite, but you have a lot of publications and novels. Do you have a favorite, one or two? And if so, why?
1: They're like my children. I don't really have favorites. My first book, Katie and those boys, I sort of thought it was my husband's favorite, but maybe just because the story, the plot appealed to him more. Now, I was especially pleased that the Katie books could have a new life as ebooks. They're almost 50 years old. And so it was nice to have this other publisher bring them out as ebooks and give them new covers and so forth. So that's really, I don't know about favor, but it's really fun. To have that happen—that
0: is very—and then, of
1: course, I was really quite pleased that I could write at what you might call the adult level, and I could write the story about World War II and have it published. Also, that's really pleased me very much. But I feel as though everything I sold, I did the best I could, and so it's hard to say that I liked one more than the other.
0: Got it. No, it's good to know that. Similar to being a parent, you really don't have a favorite, and you love them all equally. (laughs) Who or what inspires you?
1: I think perhaps I described to you how I just fell into it, more or less. But in some ways, my mother, with all that emphasis on reading and knowing how important it was, probably in the back of my mind, that had something to do with the whole thing. And then, as I say, my husband was very helpful once I started it. I mean, he didn't say beforehand, why don't you try writing? But once I did it, he was really very helpful.
0: That's wonderful. What are you most proud of?
1: I think I'm most proud of raising children. (laughs) Raising the next generation is pretty important. That's great.
0: And I read in an interview that you did last year, I read that you were planning your 100th birthday party (laughs) a couple (laughs) years ahead of time. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: We've already reserved the big room. kind of worrying about putting together the guest list. (laughs) I've invited so many people already. When I had a 95th birthday party. We also had the big room and a lot of people. And one of my good friends who introduced me or made a little talk was a gal named Janie Olson. And she said, oh, when I first planned the other party, it was like two years before I was 95. She said, you're like people who buy green bananas. And expect to be around when they're ripe. And so that was the theme of the party. So all the flowers on the tables also had green bananas in them. And she wore a green banana dress. And so she's saving the dress. And we're going to do that again.
0: (laughs) I love that so much. It is hopeful, positive, optimistic. I'm going to steal the green banana analogy. I love that. You may.
1: Take it by all means.
0: And so when is your 100th birthday?
1: It's September 7th.
0: 2021. So you have 13 months before your 100th birthday. Is there anything you'd like to accomplish before then? Well,
1: I have at least one, maybe more essays I'd like to sell. And the one that I'm working on right now is called Dance the Dark Away. And it's about, as I described to you already, how we dance during the Depression. And then to have our teens, we had a fun teen life in spite of all the bad things going on. And so that's part of the essay. So I'm hoping to sell that. Selling essays is really tricky because it has to suit the market that you're aiming it for. And so some of those that I described to you, I sold to a magazine called The Good Old Age because they want only things written in the past. So that was perfect for me because I tend to write about those old days. So we'll see. And perhaps I'll write some more essays. And then I have another book I have not yet sold, but I'm hoping to go over and sell it. And it's called Man, the Snap on Legs. Anyway, I was thinking of it as an adult book, but I think maybe I would try it as a young adult book.
0: So you are 98 years young, and I'm sure you have many stories that you didn't include in your novels and essays through the years. Can you share with our listeners one or two most impactful growth moments of yours? whether it includes struggle or failure, but one of your biggest learning lessons and growth moments.
1: That lesson, when I went to the scholastic and she said the book was not publishable, that was a real important time. And I think I learned quite a bit from that. And I learned that when you change the type of writing you're doing, then you have to learn how to do that type. And I hadn't quite got that through my head until that happened to me. But... Otherwise, I don't think of anything in particular. I loved all the good things that happened. I usually had a party for most of my books. The librarian gave me a couple, and then friends would give me parties for those books. And I had a friend, a very distinguished friend, who wrote many books called Eve Bunting. She wrote many, many picture books, especially. And so she wrote one called something, Party in the Hen House or something like that. And so the hen lays an egg, and the hen invites all the other animals to come to the party, the cow and the pig and everything. And so she dedicated the book to me, and the dedication is to Martha Jean, who loves parties.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Outside of writing, is there another growth moment that you can share?
1: Well, let's see. It was pretty exciting when I had my first child. (laughs) I thought that was really exciting. I thought he was the most wonderful little kid that was ever born, of course. <laughs> we all do. But I also thought, oh, maybe I can do this again. So, you might call that a growth moment.
0: <laughs> what helps you get better at writing? Is it the people, the feedback, yeah. the courses? I
1: take the classes and then after the classes ended, we formed this writing group. And it's very helpful to me and I think we've all agreed that we would never have written as much if we hadn't had these groups to come to. For one thing, it motivates you just to get something ready. And then because we've been published authors and know what we're talking about, our criticism is usually helpful. It may not be always praising, but it's usually helpful. And we're all eager to, our attitude is that of, how can I make it better? So I think that's been very, very good. Very useful to my career. Very useful.
0: You had mentioned earlier on in your writing career that it took six months before you got that first letter in the mail to say, we'd like to buy your story. Did you have a time frame for yourself to say, okay, if no one likes my writing, I'm going to stop in a year, two years? I certainly
1: didn't write another word, as I recall, after I said that off. But I was terribly busy. And so I'm not sure I did any writing. I can't answer that. Certainly not much.
0: Has any of your essays or novels sold more than you thought? And then conversely, has any of the stuff that you've really loved not sold? And why do you think that is?
1: I never in my life did I see might have such big sales. Oh, amazed!
0: <laughs> of the ones that you sold, though, are there some that you're surprised have done remarkably well?
1: Yeah, well, yes, it's been interesting to see which ones. But of course, some of it is a matter of timing. I mean, at Scholastic, I was selling in Scholastic from the mid-70s to the late 90s. Well, the ones that got offered first were repeated. They put new covers on them. They repeated them in the 80s. So whether they were better than the others or just got offered sooner, it's hard to say. But I suspect that they might have been more popular, although the first Darcy was very popular also. But Mary Loft Bond did well, too. But... I had three stories taken from the L.A. Times Kids page by Pearson. And I thought this was quite interesting. And they were put into little paperbacks and sold to schools. Okay, one was about the gold rush. Well, children in the fourth grade have to study the gold rush for one thing. So that had a good sale. One was about a dog who ate chocolate and got sick. Children love dogs and so forth. That had a very good sale. The third was about a little girl who had a pet rooster. That didn't sell well at all. (laughs) So I thought that was an interesting example of what goes over and what doesn't go over.
0: That's amazing. No one likes roosters, apparently.
1: (laughs) Not many children have roosters and so on.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I'd like to suggest that other people... Older people in particular write memoirs because it's a wonderful way to capture some history. And recently I had Huntington Library scholars living with me. And they would go over to the library every day and do research. Oh, well, what were they reading? Old letters and diaries that people had kept 100 years ago or so. So and now we don't write those letters the way people used to. So I think it'd be a very good idea for people to keep some memoirs.
0: Well, I hope some of our listeners either tell their loved ones, tell their elders, but I love that idea, and I hope that's the case. Martha, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a wonderful conversation. Oh,
1: I feel glad. I really enjoyed it. It's lots of fun talking about these things. Oh, I love it.